E. Making notes. Making notes. Podcast. Season three. Season three. We've made it. Two it. revolutions around the sun. If it's, that's the right term. No, it's it's that's the, not the third. Right term, we are on third. And what's really cool is if you're hearing this, this is a little bonus, a little extra bonus, bonus. for you for uh, being so loyal and awesome, supporting us throughout the years because we grown. We grown now. Almost I've just 30. hit the 30 mark. Oh, he is 30. You're almost 30? I'm almost 30. Yeah. It's brutal. But welcome, everybody. So season three is finally here. And how we mark our seasons is it's one year. One year since we first launched way back in June of 2019. I moved to LA in 20, August 2018. And then soon after. And shortly moving, after. Yeah, soon after moving, we were like, let's like figure this out. <laughs> so thanks again for everyone who's been going on this journey we knew i'm not super surprised i'm not super surprised that we made it over 80 episodes already because we knew we were going to stick with it it was no matter what situation we were we were holding we were part of hold gang Hoddle. we were playing long on pod and it's rising it's well, we're about to go to the moon for this podcast but thanks again everyone for going on. And so what Drew was referring to earlier as a bonus, what we're going to try to do here is we, we love our one-on-ones. We love to goof off, but we know you, you love our guests. And when we get to bring on and feature awesome guests on the show, and we have so many guests, we have so many people interested. We have so many stories we want to get in front of you that primarily we will be having guest episodes. I, I think it's a great format. It gets their knowledge out there, whether they are big names, superstar or a future superstar we want their knowledge in front of you and in your ears and so for drew and i we'll periodically be checking in just with these solo matters but what we're going to be doing now is we're shifting into things beyond just the pod so we've got a discord you can join us on discord and link That's in the description discord we'll have links in the description it's going to be great. And so you can come and communicate with us. That's where we want to hear your questions. That's where we want to just talk. That's where, most importantly, you're going to be able to meet each other, interact with each other. We're always referring to our faking fam. And it's a little weird because you just don't get to interact that much. There's a few select view shout outs, Boutique Paul, on Twitter that's interacting with the faking fam. But we want to make it easier and to have better access to us, more value, don't, to not have to just have this conversation be a, a one-way street. We want to speak with you. Piggybacking off of that, we have the Patreon. You want to talk about the Patreon, Drew? Before I even go to the Patreon, I wanted to talk about the Discord. How you always used to say, we got our new segment, phoning it in. And there was like, <laughs> absolutely nothing. In Discord, you can send audio messages to us that we can put into the podcast audio questions. And I think that is a really cool project that I'm particularly uh, excited about with the Discord, as well as you know, having a town square for all of us to meet up. Now, if you want to support us and get some extra perks in the Discord and get more involvement in the show, if you're very bullish on the Faking Notes podcast, you can, you can support us from our Patreon campaign, patreon.com uh, slash Faking Notes podcast. Um, and you can drop a dollar, drop $3, get access to live streams, one get access to dollars. exclusive Discord privileges. We're just really excited to 
also use the funds that we gather from the Patreon to support our growth in hiring other people to help us maintain this podcast. One of the biggest challenges for us has been maintaining our full-time careers. Trevor has three companies he works for and edits the pod. And myself, <laughs> I'm like always performing. I'm doing social media work. So it's really difficult to do everything yourself. And so we uh, have wonderful people. One of them is actually in this call. He's muted, but his name is Daniel. He's going to be our, our wonderful man in the chair. <laughs> the chair. Jamie, we can shout out. So all those times we're referring to a statistic or a book that we never read or can't remember where it comes from. What's the name of that book, Trevor? Oh, it starts with uh, War Art of the of Deal. Art. He wrote the War of Art. <laughs> and, and Daniel will, will Daniel, what's the who's the author? War of Art. And then he was Stephen Pressfield. Sun Tzu. Oh, Sun Tzu. Oh yeah, the OG War of Art. Oh yeah, the what Art it? of War. War of Art. The War of Art. The Art of War is my Stephen Pressfield. But we're super excited to have Daniel involved. Also, we have Ben who's coming through and helping us with all these Instagram clips and these little videos who'll be coming in. So the team's growing and we've loved interacting with the fans. We really love our faking fan features. We love actually having you on the pod and interviewing you. And the best way to now get in touch with us is on, is on our Discord. Mm -hmm. And so please join us there. The Discord's free. Come hang out. The Patreon, not free. Give us your money. You can also message us and get direct access to us. Uh, via that platform as well. It's Twitch chat. If you drop $5 dono, I'm definitely going to read whatever you tell me <laughs> no, to read. This is capitalism, baby. This <laughs> is pay to play. And so basically what this nice little mild-mannered intro getting us all settled in into season three is we are going to block off Drew and I behind a big paywall. Like It's just like those New York Times articles. It's, wow, this is the one I want to read. You click it, boom, paywall, subscribe. subscribe. No one does. You open it up in incognito mode and read that article anyways. That's so we are paywalling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you download the um, remove display Chrome app to kill the paywall. But, you know, let's, yeah, let's not, yeah, yeah. They're always trying to work around it, but it's, it removes overlays. Anyways, <laughs> uh, we are not advocating for going around and uh, ripping off the New York Times. But what we are advocating uh, is that we want to have more guests in front of you guest episodes take longer to edit it takes longer to produce but we know the value they have and we just love having conversations with other people so for our purposes when we do these episodes with just drew and i and our new producer daniel we'll be doing more live streams we'll be playing video games mm -hmm. and streaming that we'll be doing office hours we'll be in that discord so we're certainly not going away and us giving goofing off and acting like idiots and talking about our successes and our problems and misquoting articles, that's still here, baby. That's yeah. still here. But we want to make sure that we're always moving forward with the pod and doing what's best for you. And so this is what's best, this is what's best for you and for us. We'll go into the Patreon. We'll be having more of these one-offs where we're less shilling and more providing value. But nevertheless. I wanted to hop in because I imagine some of you are grandfathered in from my personal Patreon, that the old kid. And may have not listened to the podcast, which is cool. Hi, what's good? How you been? What's up? This is what I've been doing instead of YouTube, 80 mm. episodes of podcasts <laughs> instead of uh, daily and weekly YouTube videos. I really find that what I've really wanted to do was have a 
place where I could share my friends that aren't necessarily next to me. One of the problems of doing a YouTube channel is you need the video, but so many of my friends are too afraid to get on a camera and talk with me and introduce and, I, and to share their value and their wonderful wisdom with my audience. I had so much trouble during my blogging days just trying to get my friends to look at the camera and answer a question. But I found that through a podcast, people are way more open. They realize it's just audio. And what has been so transformative over these past two years is having people that have been, you know, mild acquaintances, work acquaintances coming in and sharing some of the most personal, deep, and, and poignant aspects of their life, lives with us just through the medium of podcasting. I think podcasting is so powerful and it's beautiful. And uh, I'm excited to continue to expand this. Now, if once we have this machine running, I definitely will be making more YouTube videos. It's just literally bouncing it. But essentially, if you're not really hip to like what our podcast is about, it's essentially two Juilliard graduates who are artist entrepreneurs interviewing not only each other, but other wonderful creatives from many different facets, marketing, copywriting, app development, CEOs of companies. And so what? OnlyFans. OnlyFans. Look, did you know that there are over a hundred females on OnlyFans making over a million dollars? That is absolutely awesome. It's made a hundred Get that bread. Get that money. Man. Yeah, don't laugh at it, man. Get your bread. I know a few OnlyFans people. We can, we'll have to bring some on the pot. Really? That's a business. I, That's a small business. I don't know any, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know any, maybe if you're listening, I won't in on the deal. I won't like, <laughs> split this. I can edit. I can do editing. <laughs> yeah. Get Bill Duffin in here. And, and yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is just a podcast of us trying to be honest, share our insecurities, share our failures so that you don't have to make the same mistakes that we do. Because this whole career of uh, being a musician and entrepreneur is essentially trying to cross a rushing river with only a limited number of outcropping rocks to jump between. The path isn't clear. Sometimes you can jump forward. Oftentimes you have to jump back, go back to the bank, walk down a couple of feet, a couple of yards and try again. <laughs> and so if we can at least show you the first rocks to jump across, to get you on that right path, like I think that we will have done our job and that's what we want to do for the next spot. We're trying to build a community and so things like the Discord's gonna help that. But we all noticed it. We started this before the pandemic. Thank goodness. It was great. It was like a great um refuge to come back and still talk about the things we do in our daily lives, but also just to have someone, even though we're in different states now and across the screen, to just be able to have a shared experience and not be left in the the void and the pit of despair. So that was an added benefit. But really, it was nice for those in the community to interact with us. And speaking of our guest, a lot of these guests, like Drew said, some of them we've known for years and years. We thought we knew them closely. Uh, and some I'm meeting for the first time. And what amazes me is how connected I feel to them after that 90 minutes. Someone who I might have seen for two years and never spoke to, 
I, I really do feel closer than some people who I've interacted with for multiple years because there's just something about this format and what we want out of it, what we're trying to do on this podcast is to get at the heart of what it is to be an artist, to be a creative, to be a, a musician and not in the career sense, but in the person sense. We want to know about backstories, histories, what scares them, what are they looking to in the future and all of the technical nitty gritty <laughs> licensing how to start a record label, all of this. It's this nice hodgepodge of who we are because if you think about it, we're not all just music. Drew is not just his viola. I am not just me pretending to compose and scrolling on Facebook. Like, <laughs> there, there is more to this and that's what we really liked. We both knew that we loved talking about music, thinking about music, interacting with other people and what a better way to do that than forcing you to listen to it on a podcast. So... <laughs> Shout outs to all of our, our podcast listeners. So season three, bigger, better, faster, furiouser. It's going to be great. We've already had some awesome interviews at the tail end of season two. It was incredible. We had Yaz and then we had Wordsmith and then the Anthony McGill who I go back and listen to that episode. It's absolutely incredible. Got a faking fan feature with Kaylee. It's already been an awesome experience and I'm excited to keep this going. So what we wanted to do today is we don't want to be not really too reflective, we wanted to talk about what we did through this last season, aka the pandemic. It pretty much covered almost the entire pandemic. What did we do this last season and what, what did we learn from it? What are some of the projects we're going on? Less from a shill sense, but hey, here's what we're up to and here's what we've learned for it. And we know this is going to be of some value to you. So sit tight. Okay, it's 2020. Dr. Fauci is on the screen. We're all going to die. Um, Drew, where were you? We had still been recording at your apartment. And then we were like, can you be done for a little while? And then, <laughs> so then I was getting ready to, to do a show with Roddy Rich. And then two days before it was supposed to go down, it got canceled. My show with rich the kid got canceled and essentially you were like i'm moving and i was like what <laughs> i'm out bro Trevor, no <laughs> i was distraught because i lost all of my work i even had a tour lined up that got canceled i was thinking about auditioning for minnesota orchestra that got that's right it was around then yeah it was right after i auditioned for seattle and and all that say I, I was literally coming back from coming fr back from central virginia playing uh, string quintets out there and then was like coincidentally had missed the opportunity to play for kobe's funeral I was like, why <sighs> why so that was a tumultuous year yeah that was when i played oh so january 2020 grammys played the grammys we went to nam so fast forward like we decided to do the podcast remotely which was very new the energy's different and it for me it lost a little bit of its magic i don't know if you do felt like it lost a little bit of the magic at first it was like what is this the essence of the pod because what was powerful about mm -hmm. the pod was like you and i were sitting in front of each other like truly connecting in each other's presence when we had our guests come in they really felt that energy we would go and take them to lunch or dinner afterward and we would continue our conversation it was like the most incredible like you said earlier like human connection where I, we weren't trying to sell them on anything we just wanted to have a conversation 
And then while they're distracted, I reach in and I grab grab their phone and Venmo the Faking Notes podcast. Oh yeah, dude, so, you gotta do that. So also, the, you added, you got their email, so it's added to our email list. So and then I like and subscribed, gave us a five star on their phone, slipped their phone back. They don't even know they gave us five stars. It's okay. Um, which is the only stars we accept. We only, only accept five stars. Only, only. <laughs> that's such a that's such a really good point. It was like odd. It was also a blur because I got COVID, and so I don't even remember that, but. I really don't. I scored a whole short documentary, which was really great, about a hospital. And we didn't know I had COVID. And like, I listened back to it. It's better than when I didn't have COVID, which pissed me off. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is actually good. I should, I should be in like a flu-like haze for a month before this. But I'm looking back at the set list, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like pandemic, the word. There's past, present pandemic was 425, an episode on 425. So we must have been in there. I see Music School Audition Process. I see Tiger King. Mm. Wow. Like we went in pretty. Oh, Purell Drone Strike was oh, an episode yeah. on 31920. Like we're right there. Our last in-person episode, it looks like Isabel Hagen. Oh, that's right, dude. Right before she went on Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, she was going on like a, a couple of days after or when we released it the week mm-hmm. that she was going on Jimmy Fallon. She crushed it. She's awesome. Mm-hmm. She she was talking about in that episode, she's like, I've been thinking about doing this podcast called Good Timing. And mm-hmm. then you know what? She's 50 episodes in. She did yeah. it and it's awesome. She's, she's hilarious. It. Yeah. Serious musician, funny comedian. So she's great. She's great. But that was the last in-person thing. And I really do miss that to be able to go out to food after and hang out before and have them meet the little dog, little Shiloh. He's doing well. And just to hang out together. I miss you so much. It's, it's, it's crushing me. But so it was a little bit of this dark period, obviously, because the world was on fire. It's only slightly less on fire now in America. It's, it's still on fire everywhere else, <laughs> vaccine wise. But there were some nice side effects. The audio quality is nice. We're not in the same room. <laughs> yeah, no. I really yeah. do miss real people. So the other thing that it allowed us to do, though, because there is always, there's always something positive to, to pull out from this. The other added benefit was that it freed us up from just in-person people interviews. So the guests we were able to have, some of the conversations we have been able to have, might not have happened naturally. We're interviewing people literally all over the world now. Yeah. Literally mm-hmm. all over the world. Mm-hmm. We had one in Japan. Mm-hmm. We have one in a- Stockholm. Outside Stockholm. Stockholm. That's right. There we yeah. go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so like now we've gone fully global and I don't think we would have done that naturally. A side effect is I remember about this time one year ago, we were going to have our first live show. Oh yeah, 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 that would have been awesome. That would have been awesome. So we'll have to. Yeah. We'll see. In the future. We'll we'll see. When it's time, it's time. I'm chilling on that. When it's That's, time, it's time. Dude, life is long. I'm chilling. We're in it for the long haul. Yeah, um, I'm holding. One thing that I found, you know how like you hear about people because I haven't personally experienced this, but if they lose one of their senses, their other ones get stronger. Being in person was one of our senses. We could really use our charisma in person to uh-huh. like open up our guests. But I think when you remove that element of being together in the same room, it becomes way more stale. And our first couple of uh, interviews, that was very apparent. So it made us have to really research our guests, like, like doggedly prepare lots of questions, mm-hmm. prepare many different 
conversational branches that could occur. Like it really helped us, it made us have to step up our game as interviewers and as, uh, dare I say, journalists or music journalists. I know. But like, in a way, I think it's super positive. And since then, I have not had a guest not approach us and say, that was so much fun. I've never been asked these questions. Like, wow, thank you. Thanking us to be on our podcast. I'm like, dude, you're doing us a favor. (laughs) Appreciate you. I think that was positive. That's a very great observation. And it's super true. We did have to put in more research just to really understand them. And I think what also helped too is that because they're all over the place, we were able to expand who we were talking to and just some of the guests to roll through are absolutely incredible. And I just love these conversations. It was a nice refuge to be able to talk to other people, to still meet someone new in the pandemic. that, That didn't strike me as odd until just a month or so ago where it was fully vaccinated. We were staying in a small little pod in Maine, visiting a good friend. And I met the people he had potted with, not in the podcast sense, the co- cohabitation sense throughout the pandemic in this little area in Kennebunkport, Maine. And it was just on this little tiny little alcove. There's just a few families that all knew each other and they stayed up there and wrote out the pandemic. So I got to meet someone new and then meet his family. And we all sat down at the table, all vaccinated, and got to eat a meal, like as a family, no mass, no weirdness, with new people. Wait a minute. I never met anyone new in over a year. I've been seeing the same people, and if I'm lucky enough to see face-to-face some of the people I know, but to actually meet someone new, it was this wild feeling. To sit down and have a family meal, <laughs> it was this wild feeling. And very soon, I'll be going to North Carolina and finally see my family. It'll be, it'll be really nice. I'm gonna. I gotta eat my Bojangles. Oh. I gotta Dude, go I've put that sludge. What the, what the fuck? Never I mean, that's because is that a heresy? You're one. You're you're just. But you're one state away. Are they in Georgia? Yeah, I know it's got, mostly yeah, in my North and South. To love Bojangles, oh, but I was. It's... I saw his body and I was like, maybe that's not something. <laughs> <laughs> but like, oh, but like, actually, like you gotta. Cool. Yeah, you gotta Bojangles with caution. <laughs> Bojangles in moderation. But this panel was wild. And it was a hard adaption. We were fortunate enough. We had Ken on, mm-hmm. Internet Boyfriend, we'll talk about later. Johan Lennox, which was great. Mm-hmm. And we had John Hall. In the end, David John, that's Rossi, right. He's right after that. Sam, Wald, Sam Walder. So many incredible people who just dropped so many gems. We even got Nathan Chan. He's in Seattle. Nathan Chan. Man. So, Nathan Chan. But yeah. long story short, enough about the pod because you're on the pod right now. If you've made it this far, you're listening to the pod. You get it. Talk to us on Discord. Come hang out. We got more episodes coming out. And this was a nice little winding road. So let's get to some specifics. First off, I think for each of us, a little brief who we are for those who have just most recently joined us. And then we can talk about some non-pod specific projects and successes, failures. Where are they at? Why do people need to know about them? I am Drew Alexander Ford. I'm a professional. Viola player. It's weird to say that, but I am a professional. I pay my bills with my viola. And I I live in Los Angeles and I'm almost 30. Those are things that are top of mind about me. But my mission in life is to help people understand that they are incredibly powerful. And 
Patience is the only thing that allows you to really identify your power and deploy a little bit of discipline in something that you're passionate. And understanding that discipline of pursuing your passion and, and doing it with a methodical approach instead of just like blindly pursuing it, but having a methodology, understanding that you need to pay your bills, that you need to get your mom and your grandma Christmas present. You, know, you have to deploy the patience with action and make sure that you're doing the right actions. And so that's why I love doing this podcast. That's my mission, sharing the things that I've done and most of them have failed. <laughs> most <laughs> everything I've done has been a massive failure. But I think that those who like achieve any quote, quote, success, you only see the success. All the failure gets hidden because like it didn't pop off. But the stuff you do see is the stuff that did pop off. So understanding that simple fact is absolutely incredible. And I will say seeing you and talking with you over these two years, just I've learned so much. And I love talking about the discipline as freedom and seeing someone with drive and purpose and who's like willing to take it's inspiring. And it's certainly like helped me. I will say this pod is part of and helped me find my purpose for what I want to be doing on this earth and how I can contribute to the life we have now. So I'm Trevor Bumgarner and I'm a composer and a musician and educator. And I've worked in a variety of different types of music. Wacky, avant-garde, contemporary, classical, film, dance, theater, pop. I realized I really like variety. I was so troubled for the longest time in school and after school. Do I just not know what I want to do? What's wrong? Why am I hopping around? But it made me realize, wait a minute, that is not a bug. That's a feature. There was a, a little light switch. The problem was that I wasn't putting enough effort into one area or was getting tired and just moving on, it's that I need that variety. I work best when I've got a handful of things going on so that when I get blocked with one and I want to procrastinate something else, I'm just switching to another bucket, essentially. I move over and I start pouring things into the next bucket. So instead of climbing one big long ladder, I'm like slowly hopping between. It's like those video games where you can just go like Mario. left and right. And you old, climb. Old yeah, little Mario. Old school Mario, I'm climbing and switching between the different ladders. And I'm referring to myself essentially as a generalist specialist. I'm really interested in just understanding a lot of different things at a fundamental level and kind of the, the baseline. I enjoy being the in-between person in collaborations. I'm not super interested in writing music that's just me or for me. Didn't really find my voice. And I was like, what's wrong? It's because my voice is found through helping other people and working on their projects, working with the director, bringing their film to light and doing the best music for their project, working with a choreographer. What are they trying to get across? How do I fit that in? And really just be in the fulcrum between other parties. Some of my super creative friends, for instance, with film need help on the filmmaking process, the management, the files, the timelines. What's the best fit here? So to some degree, it's like project manager supervisor role where I can speak to the directors, really know what they're saying in their language, and then speak to other composers and say, hey, this is the direction I think we go. And so I really like existing in this musical twilight, being between everyone in collaborations. And it took me the longest time 
to realize like that's where I need to be. I need to be in the twilight. This podcast is a big part of that. It helped me realize that through a hundred hours of record, hundred hours in, I was like, wait a minute, I want to work with people. And so for the pandemic, this last season, I finally realized that my purpose is even beyond music, but I want to do this type of role, this type of thing, helping others, providing service, not necessarily always just writing music. I really just want to help artists and help people. I noticed that why I was procrastinating writing that music is because I didn't always like writing the music. I was not built or interested in waking up and going in that room for three hours in silence and just to grind it out. Drew and I know because we've seen it and we've done it. Drew's still actively doing it. I've done it in the past. Thanks to the knowledge gained from working in music and studying music and sports and other things like that, what that teaches you is how to achieve mastery at something, how to get better, how to improve. And I think for both of us, we realize, wait, we can take these methods, having a mentor, knowing the history, knowing the theory, putting in the hours, dedicated practice, having a routine, doing this, doing that, talk to people, observe others, go in the community, all these checklists on how to improve at something. And we realize, wait, this can go everywhere. This doesn't just work in the small world of music. And for me, I noticed I want to apply that same methodology, that same discipline, that same rigor to helping artists. I was more interested in hanging out, thinking about music, collaborating, being in the room in a musical, thinking about the story than I was always worrying about the song, helping other people translate their ideas. And so that realization, that's what I want to do. That's not a byproduct of composition and music, but that's specifically where I want to exist has led me to my most recent collaboration, which is more on the business side of music. And Drew and I, we've got a project we'll talk about. I've got some others. But for me, this pandemic was, well, it's devastating for the world and awful and insert, insert all the terribleness about it. One perk of this is I walk out with a clear sense of what I want to do on this earth and to help other artists and speak with other artists and to solve their problems. And that's the big takeaway that both this podcast and this past year has given me. A little, a little something that I like, uh, I've discovered as well is I want to make my own music. No matter what, like people are asking me to play the viola pieces and I like listen to them. <laughs> and it's not because it's bad, but it's just, it's not what I want to do. And so now that I'm like getting more and more, people are now finally asking me to play on projects but then they're telling me what to play on their projects i'm like oh man i really don't like that and that's really getting closer to like wanting to make my own stuff which is like blasphemous in the classical (gasps) realm you shouldn't ever think about what you should you want to do until you can play waltz perfectly okay your voice doesn't (laughs) nobody cares play viola so i've been fighting against a lot of that mentality throughout the many years if you've been listening for a while i've been doing a lot of that recently and it's all bad so i'm on the right path i'm very excited about that literally was talking to the the most interviewed person on this podcast jeremy jones this morning and we worked on a beat um 
couple years ago now. And he was like, dude, this is fire, man. Like, can I use this for a project? So it's just, it's funny. Like my brilliance comes out through collaboration, but I want to get to a point where I can bring out my brilliance independently. That is a journey. Life is long. And it does take that work. I wanted to jump in to an experience that you had very recently, Trevor. You went all the way out to Red Rocks Woo! to see not one, but two Wait, hold former up. guests in the pocket. And then, so I saw two former guests perform, and then there was a third at the yeah. after party the next oh, day. S- it's May 26th, 2021. Red Rocks opening up for the Floozies was none other than Bad Snacks, the Bad Snacks. The Bad Snacks. Uh, she crushed it. It was awesome. And then she featured Dear Evergreen, another amazing interview. She's awesome. And then at the after party, our dear friend, Internet Boyfriend, also awesome. So it's depression. It was, yeah, it's <laughs> depression. It's a hilarious Twitter personality, but all three of them are awesome doing their thing and they've got this great little community they know half the other guest of our podcast and i was super proud she crushed it it was another one of those like noticeable post-pandemic feelings i, I keep saying post-pandemic like we're out of it but we're at stage three pandemic feelings late stage pandemic feelings to where i was in a crowd with thousands of people it's red rocks it's all outdoors but all these people I hope are vaccinated. They were definitely all on Molly or other more insane party drugs out there. They were all having a good time. And me and one of my friends and business partners, Tom Miron, we'll talk about him later and what we're up to. We went there and we missed the memo that it was like hippie and Hawaiian shirt night. Cause I show up there looking like me and I swear we looked like the agents, like PR reps or something. Like we were there to make sure the, that we're collecting on our return, our investment. We stuck like everyone was like full out Woodstock on Molly Hawaiian shirts because the band had tweeted out it's Hawaiian shirt night. And this band is like reggae techno and it's, ins- it's insane. And so I'm standing there looking freaking loser, like big mega loser. And I'm 30. So I feel older than all these other people. Y'all look like the men in but, black. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it was an awesome experience. Oh yeah. Thank you, Daniel. Our producer, Molly is a <laughs> diminutive of the Hebrew feminine name, Mary. That's great. That's great. This is the fun facts. That's that's what I'm ready for. But so what you're saying is that people who are on club drug Bali are celebrating uh, Hebrew heritage. Is that the takeaway? I believe so. But I it was an so. awesome experience. <laughs> it was an awesome experience to just see someone excel and take that next step. We were always joking because this is her biggest show. And I walked up to her. I was like picking up right where you left off. And she was laughing about it. She's like, yeah, it was wild to be making moves. Stop for an entire year and then come back and play the biggest show of your life. The very first show back. She crushed it, Dear Evergreen. It was nice to finally meet her in person. That was a You've pandemic. never met her in person. Uh, she, I probably said hey at the party, at but the just party. didn't know. That's I wasn't at Bass Next Party for too long. Yeah. But she was incredible. Her voice is amazing. Her song was awesome. Jesse did a re- remix of that song. And I talked to her and she said, she said in that moment, she realized this is what she wants to do for the rest of her life. Like this is it. She was so happy and ecstatic to be on that stage. And also the after party, Internet Boyfriend, it's depression. It was great to see him. He had some killer flip-flops. He's been doing well. He's just in the hustle and the grind, surviving, traveling around. He was just coincidentally in Colorado 
And for those who are new, I've been bunkered down here in Colorado for most of the, the pandemic. And Red Rocks is just 15 to 20 minutes away. So it was just a very nice coincidence. I was in New York. I flew in on the morning of this concert. So I was already, I didn't need, I didn't need drugs because I woke up at 5.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, flew in, went to, didn't work, and then went to this concert till midnight. But it's just great to see your friends excel. She's going to keep going and, and keep hitting new milestones. So shout outs to Bad Snacks and shout outs to our past guests and uh, listeners of those episodes. They were awesome. Dear everybody. I want to hear a little bit more about Tommy Around because like and what you're doing with him because like it's so funny. Tommy Around and I go back like to like my first year at Juilliard, he was, uh, so at Juilliard, you have to do chamber music as uh, if you're a performance manager, you have to do chamber music. And so what's really crazy is, so it was a, it was a quintet, clarinet quintet. And our clarinet was John Hong, John Hong featured on the podcast, featuring Catherine Yu, Tom Urone as first violinist. And we were playing this quintet together and I, Tom was one of my very first friends that I made Drew. And so it's so funny that you're building a business with him. He came out to LA like in 2019 or so. And we had lunch in Malibu and he was asking me specifically about Lincoln Center Stage. I recommended that he do it. He did it. And after that, he had just gotten off the ship and I think COVID hit right after he finished his yeah. first contract. But he gained wonderful contacts that is a boon to y'all's company now. You guys are hitting the ground running. So it's so crazy yeah. how like, things work out. You know? It's a wild intersection. So Tommy Rowan and I, we didn't really know each other at Juilliard. We maybe interacted twice because he was in your year. So that meant mm-hmm. we would only had one year overlap and there's a lot of students there. and. He'd been out in Boulder. His, his family's out here. He, he went to UC Boulder for an arts diploma with the string quartet during the middle of the pan- pandemic last summer. Uh, we had just gotten off COVID. We had our anti- antibodies. We're like, okay, let's at least, we'll, we'll, we're staying outside. We're staying safe, but let's get, let's get out of the house. So we drove to Boulder, which is about 45 minutes to an hour away from where I'm staying currently. And I was like, who's here? I have I've got to see someone like, safely or do something. And so we went to Avery. It's a really nice brewery outside of Boulder. Like, Tom's here. It's like, hey, I know we never really hung out, but let's catch up. Let's do this. And so we met up, and I'm telling him about what I'm doing, and he's telling me about what he's been up to over, over all these years. He starts telling me about this business idea. And Amy and I were like, wait a minute. That sounds like an Airbnb of music. <laughs> Super simple way to set up events. And to go through and optimize this, that whole process. Where did this idea spur to him? And he had written a business plan probably approximately a year ago, was after being on that ship with going through with RWS and being on Lincoln Center stage, the difficulties of setting up concerts. Mm-hmm. About how it takes so long, you can find an awesome that they might not even think of it as a venue, and you gotta figure out who's in charge. And by the moment he walks into a beautiful church and he's like, hey, let's play here. The moment he gets a response back, yeah, sure, you want to put on something here? That's great. Let's talk about it. He's already in another country. He, he's already set sail. He's in a different port. The painful experience of setting up tours for your string quartet. It's so much work and so much effort. And so he thought there has to be a better way. And I think he just knew 
which some of the things I was interested in. Like I said, I was becoming more interested in business and how to optimize all these various things. Mm-hmm. So we've teamed up and he's really spearheading this thing. And with an idea like this and what we've been going for, it takes an insane amount of work. And so he's really leading the charge and he's just hustling. He's just grinding. So all those hours to spend on violin, he's, he's spending on this too. And it's just nice to see someone who is so ingrained in violin, like practice, practice, practice to do this. Someone similar to Julia Choi. They, they hit this like great point of performance and they're like, wait a minute. I have this knowledge of how to get good at something. I have this drive. Where can I use it? And he, I can just tell he's like super interested in going on this. And so am I because it fits into my core why. We're going out to help musicians. So I won't bore you with the logistics, but it's been a long winding journey. We've had developers. We've let go developers. We've been working on a beta of an Airbnb style platform. We've canned it and since started to put on our own concerts to prove the concepts, to test things out. We've done concerts at vaccine clinics for doing branded concerts where people would donate and we put up something on a vaccine clinic. We've had failed shows. We've had super successful shows. And so even at the time of this recording, we have three shows this weekend, both sold out. And this comes on the heel. Yeah, both sold out. It's good. Will we make a bunch from it? No, but we're going on at the Museum of Boulder, two shows. Uh, fully sold out rooftop concert. It's great going through Facebook ads and learning from that. From what Drew was talking about at the opening of this episode about learning from failure, trying and just keep going and you never know. That's really what we're going out and setting out to do. We know the process of setting out and, and organizing events, concerts, dealing with the city dealing with licenses, Mm -hmm. dealing with arrangements, dealing with all these things, ticket sales, Facebook marketing, finding a venue. They all suck. No one likes doing it. It all sucks. It's complicated and messy. We didn't want to put the cart before the horse and jump into some platform. Right now, as I speak, there are probably 50 active apps that -hmm. are trying to work on this problem or someone has built, I swear, everyone we talk to someone who's gone through a a computer programming boot camp, oh yeah, someone in my class like, built that. And we mm-hmm. look at it and it's not there. The big problem is not many people building the apps are over here understanding what we do. They're not mm-hmm. musicians. They're not in the scene and like knowing the difficulties as much or not having the context or the Rolodex. And so credits to Tom. He's got the drive. He's not taking no for an answer and he's just going. He's playing. And we're out here hustling and we're finally getting some profits in the green, but we really want to help musicians. So what we're doing is we're organizing the shows. We're helping other people put on their shows. And I think that's something that's particularly unique is that we're not, I'm not interested at all in being a producer of a show. That is of little interest to me. There are other people who want to do that. I'm not interested in setting up my own ensemble or nonprofit. I'm not interested in being an agent. I'm not interested in being a venue manager or any of these things, a ticketing platform. I'm interested at the intersection of all of these. We're setting out to help other people with their nonprofits, their production companies, find them gigs. Nothing exclusive, not an agent, but if you work with us, we look at your situation, we try to help you optimize it, or we try to find you more money. What is the bottleneck preventing you, a performer, from getting that gig? What is the bottleneck from preventing you from putting on shows? And we tackle that. It's good people are finding use in the service, but the biggest thing that we know from starting a business, just what everyone says. You can think you know the problem, but will anyone pay money for it? 
And so we're actively exploring that. Like, what is the right amount? Um, what's a fair amount? We're sick of people getting fucked over. Mm-hmm. Essentially, that's it. People taking massive percentages. The production company like paying pennies to the musicians to scam. And so we put on the highest paying gig in the state of Colorado for classical musicians. It's almost five times as much as the Colorado Symphony. We did it. It was hard. Did we make much? No. But they remember it. We've gotten gigs and create, we're creating opportunities that weren't otherwise there before. So we're not set out on fully integrating into the old existing system or like coming in and being disruptors and we're going to destroy it, which is a lot of value in that. But I view it as we're trying to be community expanders. I'm going to come in there and create more of something that otherwise wouldn't be there. More How's concerts. How's music going to grow if it, there aren't more concerts of it? You know what I mean? It's insane. We literally asked someone and it was a really telling thing because in other genres of music or even think of a, a musical, it's a great experience. It's the same musical every night, eight days a week for years until it's taken off. And no one questions like, wait, why didn't you change Wicked? Why didn't you guys like mix it up or learn a new program by next week? Classical musicians do this very weird thing. They will work on a recital on a program and they might play it twice. And it's insane because people want to see it. They might not be able to make that concert. You've put in all this effort into one tiny little thing. Yeah. And come on, you can do this and this can be repeatable. You can play this in more places in different places. So we really are trying to create something new. Our kind of tagline is uh, make music happen or more music in more places, something to that effect. I'm not looking to go in and bust up old concert halls or to become some big corporation that trims off the top of all these other things. I'm trying to remove other middlemen and make it easier for nonprofits and ensembles to put on an artist to put on their own shows themselves to where they could make money. They can have higher ticket costs, sell more seats, and perform shows multiple nights a week. We literally asked someone, a great cellist, I won't dox the name, but we were on a conversation saying, hey, we love your nonprofit. We love what you're doing here in Colorado. Would you be interested in like having some more shows? We can just help you set up more shows. You just make more money. And Tom asked, if you could play every night, would you? And the concept that their mind, they sat there in silence, like their mind was blown. The thought of, we don't want to play every night, but the thought of frequently performing had not even occurred. Shocking. Tom played on a ship and then we're playing Lincoln Center Stage. You're playing three shows a night, six nights a week. You play more than you've ever played in your entire life and you get so much better. It's great. And he's, and he left that ship and then walked into a similar situation. He's playing these candlelight shows that are spamming ads every day. And he'd realize, wait a minute, people keep buying, they all love this program. Also, they're there for the experience. And that was a big learning thing. And why we saw the success of this one company, we saw their success of being able to put on the same types of programs constantly, sell big expensive tickets, $55, $60 tickets, selling out a lot, like every concert in the green. And the paying the musicians better also than the Colorado Symphony, just like a high paying gig. And that is a great convenience for Tom and supported him throughout all this and went to these shows. And I learned a lot. It was stunning. I went to one of these concerts, which are happening all the freaking time and now in multiple states. It's not just old people in the crowd. It's weird. I was a bunch of people who look like me, which is not normal at classical music. Well, white, white people, they're they're all over the place. Uh. But, um, But there's a bunch of like people my age, which was insane. 
the young people paying $60 to go see a string quartet. And so what were they going there for? They're going there for the experience. No one was just like, hell yeah, Mozart. <laughs> it's going to be a great night. No, it was the experience, a romantic evening at Candles. Film music played by, film music from some of your favorite films played by a string quartet. And these concerts were shorter than normal classical music concerts. They're doing two shows a night, making bank. And it was great for the musicians. They were getting the top talent in the state because no one else was playing. So we saw what they were doing. And the idea wasn't, oh, let's just do what they're doing. It's a cash cow. We were trying to learn from it and also see what they're doing wrong. The key takeaway was that it was possible. Here was a company that is not even a production company who realized that there actually is demand for classical music. Who would have thought? Like real demand. Who would have thought? Yeah, who would have thought? Who would have thought? <laughs> and they executed on it. And so we looked, from the, we looked at them. We've talked to them. We've learned from them. We're getting all these types of clients. Uh, but in the end, every decision we make, every failure, we tried to have a concert a little too early in the pandemic. Teamed up with a hotel. It was going to be great. Tickets priced too high. Didn't have enough media to drive people to it. Vaccine hesitancy. We pulled the plug. We caught it. We're like, hey, this is too big of a risk. We're learning how to assess risk. Fearlessly went into the next thing. Next day, we canceled our concert. Here's just like the, the briefest thing. And I want to shift into some of the other things we're, we're talking about. But there's something to learn from this. I can't remember if it was Charisma on Command or some of these YouTube videos, but talking about when a negative situation occurs. Take a step back and figure out how can I make this a positive? And it's not in a lie to yourself sense. No, no. We're putting on this concert. It's risk. We're going to have to start putting down deposits. We're going to have to start doing other things. Tickets aren't selling. These are high dollar tickets. They're just not selling. It's not, something's not clicking. We were not able to do what this other, we don't have the budget to put into advertising like this other company. We don't have the media. We don't have the right audience. And so a huge snowstorm comes. That makes it trickier. We're trying to fly in one performer. Ah, it's stressful. We're on the ropes to potentially lose thousands of dollars. We get an email. Someone wants to get refunded for their tickets because they had a COVID exposure. So on the day we needed to start really driving ticket sales, I had two negative ticket sales. <laughs> we lost tickets. I got exposed to someone. It's just not safe for me to come. And so we sat there. Yeah, good on them. Thank goodness. Don't like, yeah, come that's in what we want. Everyone. We want more of that. But we're sitting there, like things aren't good, and we had to reimburse someone for Coke, which we're like, wait a minute. This is right around the time, shortly after or right almost on the day. Like the Yo-Yo Ma video comes out, he's playing at a vaccine clinic, other people are doing stuff. We're like, we just had to refund this for COVID. We need to play for people at vaccine clinics. And so we pivoted. And that wound up to be a pretty big success. We have a handful of shows at some of the clinics around here in Denver. Some of them sponsored by companies who would be able to show their opening. Here's what they're doing now and receive donations and pay musicians to go play at these. We didn't do a ton of them because now everyone could get a vaccine, but it was a really great experience. It's like, this is bad. This could have been bad. It was taken on the chin to potentially lose money. We still paid the musicians. We are not, a, we're, we're not ranking oh, in money God. and we're like, we're going to be better than the companies we're trying to replace. Even while we don't have the, we don't technically have the resource to do that. We're paying the musicians. They made more, <laughs> keep ragging on, Colorado Symphony's great, but um, <laughs> keep ragging on. 
we paid more to cancel our concert to the musicians than the Colorado Symphony pays, just as an example. And we stuck to it. So I, again, I got to give Tom credit here. When he says we want the musicians to make more money, like, that's true. We want to stick to our values now. So mm-hmm. we're not making a ton on our own, and that's okay. We're learning for every success, we learn something. For every failure, we learn something, and we try to adapt the next time. So in the end, this summer, so we went from starting off this little company. It's a for-profit company. It's unique. It's an LLC. Having to learn the ropes about that. We were putting on quite a few concerts. We got four in the next few weeks, and then a handful more that we are doing what our mission says. We're coordinating with them. We are literally hosting a folk revival show. <laughs> Three folk bands. And we're, we're putting it on. We're producing it. We're helping them out. We're getting their permits, their alcohol permits. We're, sec- we're doing their advertising. We're running their ticketing. We're Whoa. doing all these things. And we're going to put on a huge, we're expecting a, a, hopefully around 200, 250 people at this show of this folk music. Folk. This would not have happened that Tom and without the pandemic and without the realizations he's had mm-hmm. and realizations I have, so while we're hustling, it could bomb. It could totally bomb. But we're charging fearlessly, and hopefully we can help you all. Hopefully we can do something for you. There's no guarantees. It's going to be a long freaking haul. But I'm glad to see how it's gone now, and I'm glad to have learned from that experience. So enough about, this is Concertize, concertize concertize.co. Enough about that. Drew, you've been up to some pretty dope shit lately. Tell me about this opera. Speaking of like just world-class musicians I've had the great fortune to work with. I was like about to go back home. So the middle of April and I get a text message it's from somebody I hadn't heard in a while. Her name is Janae Bridges. She's a, she's an African-American mezzo-soprano. She's world-class, went to Curtis. Regularly performs with the Met Opera, LA Opera all the top places. Like if you're a vocalist, you know who she is. She's opera's Beyonce. Anyway, she gets me up, she texts me, she's like, hey, I'm like gonna do a recital. She doesn't talk like that, but for some reason that's my default girl voice. <laughs> anyway, she was like, yeah, I'm doing a recital. Do you wanna, you wanna play with me? I was like, of course. It's funny, I was connected to her via Andrew Owsley. He ran so. Unison Media. And Unison Media did some, some of those entrepreneurial talks at Juilliard, which I went to as many as possible as you did. So I connected with him. And then years later, he discovered, because I had said, hey, I do social media and stuff. And he's like, yeah, whatever. But then as yeah. often happens, they come back and then they look like, and hey, like, hold oh, on. wait, no, this guy's super legit. I can't believe I didn't talk to him before. So he, come, he circles back and develop a cool little relationship. And he was the PR agent for Janae at the time. So I moved out to LA and Janae wanted to do some social media stuff. So he suggested that we connect. We made a quick and dirty recording of one of the, one of the two Brahms songs for viola, mezzo, and piano. And so fast forward a couple years later, she hits me up. Do you want to run that back? And I was like, yes. And we have other pieces to do as well. We want to feature you. Yes. I recently did that. So I, I did, I forget what it's exactly named, but they have artist in residence concert recitals at the LA Opera and they're releasing them digitally. And so last week I was recording. I was recording for that. I went to LA Opera, was on stage, 
in, in costume and everything. They, did, they gave me a little makeup as they do when you're on the stage. Yeah. They they want they were like, do you want some eyeliner? I was like, ah, let me know if I need it, but yeah. I'll <laughs> I'm good. foundation. With it. And yeah, man. So that's coming out June fourth. It's coming out tomorrow. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, yeah, it's going that's small. awesome so i'm excited about other things I probably mentioned it before but i finally got my cer- certification of john legend the uh, grammy win for, grammy for, and finally i've got a couple of brand collaborations coming up but i'm actually doing probably my biggest brand connection is my first commercial i'm doing it with sun chips so I'm doing Hell a yeah. commercial soon and really excited about that. They're going to actually feature me as a violist. What? A violist in a Sun Chips commercial what? playing viola? I saw Jeremy. Jeremy. Uh, he's got, what was it, M&M's or some commercial? That was really freaking dope. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think he just dropped. M&M's. Is he? Yeah, he's there. Bro, I, he oh, was yeah, texting me this morning. I need to see that. We got to share that. all over it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, Jeremy. He he did a Lexus commercial too, did the music for that. That's right. Yeah, I think we talked about that. I was like, no, that's why I was I was joking because when I left everyone for the pandemic, I was like, I have some decent audio gear. I don't want it to sit. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to yeah, use yeah. it and I don't want it to sit in a storage unit. And so these motherfuckers here <laughs> have done like way cooler and better shit on that gear than I have ever done. Like singing on a Lexus commercial probably like recording for this Eminem thing, Sun Chips, John Legend, like all these other things. And I'm like, eh, can you give this back for my, I've got a short film coming up. Bro, <laughs> I got the- you, man. Look, if you need some <laughs> stems, hit me up, man. I'm doing a lot of remote recording. I'm proud. Too, I'm so. so happy because I wouldn't have been using it. It's such a waste. So I'm glad it's like actually useful and like providing value in the world instead of sitting in my closet. But um, yeah, Sun Chips. So Sun Chips. how exactly does that go about? Can you just walk people in? loosely through the process of what is that like so i'm still indie i don't have management or an agent so people pretty much reach out to me through my instagram email so i say inquiry business inquiries it's a little email but typically it's not frito-lay that's like texting me saying hey you want to work with us no it's that's mr how, frito mr frito it, that's not how google worked that's not how marriott worked that's not how any of this works it's essentially brands are brands so they take care of their product okay but their marketing department will either themselves in the creation of extra content or they will use the funding to hire out external marketing companies that work with brands and those external marketing companies are the ones that reach out to influencers so i've been developing relationships with multiple marketing companies they're all based out in LA. That's perfect. Because you're working with a marketing agency that's an in-between person, they, the benefit is, of course, they represent lots of people. Here's lots the deal. Here's what's really crazy, too, is they're vetting influencers all the time. They'll, and as, as like what our work with Tempo, Persona, interviews and things like that. Don't worry, guys. We'll hit you up with that soon. Yeah. But essentially, what they do is they probably just they have a certain demographic and look that they're looking for. I'm lucky I'm black because diversity is like a real push they're trying to incorporate. They're also looking for unique people. How many black violists that are classically trained went to Juilliard and play hip hop music do you know? 
they're on this call. You know what I mean? So that's the value of being niche, right? You, you, people are looking for you. You just don't know they're looking for you. And so they were like, yeah, we sorted through hundreds and hundreds of different influencers and things like that, but we loved how unique you were. The quality of your work, it, it's apparent. So just all that investment of learning how to film, take photos, record myself, compose, arrange, perform. That's all coalescing. And now they, brands are starting to realize like I'm a one-stop shop for uh, telling stories for your, for your stuff. Now, look, influencer work is cool. I'm thankful for the opportunity. But at the end of the day, I want to make my own art and I don't want to make the majority of my money and my life's mission to be shilling other people's products. That's not, I, I think I'm more valuable than that. But my kids got to, Getting to college somehow, man. Got, got My kids got to eat sun chips. They got to <laughs> eat sun chips. Look, look, it's a healthy option. It's a healthy snack option. They're yeah. not paying you to say this, but shout out to sun chips, man. I'm excited for that. Shout outs. I also want to do a specific shout out. I agree with producer Daniel. Uh, he just chimed in. Garden salsa, best flavor. I wholeheartedly agree with a follow up of is it Harvest Cheddar? And I just oh, want to yeah. go on the record that say Garden salsa is the best. I could not re- remember the name. So, uh, producer Daniel, coming to the rescue. To, like this, this is now we're legit. Season three, we got a producer. That's what they're for to remind you your sunship flavors. So this is it, Drew. What's your favorite sunship flavor? And can you now legally announce your favorite? Or will I like the? I like um, the yeah, is is it harvest? I'm this not is an important quite sure, question. Because like for real, I have been not buying snacks just for my diet and my bank account. I've been try not to keep too much food in the house, man. Because if there's food in the house, I'd just be eating. I'm back on it, too. I'm back on my bullshit with the intermittent fasting. Yes, it's Harvest Cheddar. That's why it's Harvest Cheddar. Let's go. French onion. Let's go. Okay. Okay. Yeah, man. Whenever I go to Subway and I get chips, I do the Drake meme with his hand (laughs) out to the Doritos. Yeah, the chili lime is the one that I'll I'll be featuring. That's awesome. So. It's okay. Yeah, I didn't know if you could go on the record. There, you're right. There's a sweet potato brown sugar. That look, okay. What's also really yummy. I haven't made the content yet, so I'm not in breach of contract. Yet. But you ever had those Stella or is it, they're like the pita chips? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, they're like the Stacey's. cinnamon sugar. What Stacy's pita chips with the cinnamon and brown sugar? Oh my god, dude. I should buy. I should buy like st- whatever Stacy's stock is because I just get so many. I eat so many things. Uh, I love hummus. So oh. Stacy's and they're like <clears throat> fire roasted, like jalapeno ones. Is just out Best of control. Best but... chips ever, bro. You're the snack king. Okay, I no see. You Dude, I love play. snacks, but I have to chill because when I went to New York, so like while well, I'm in Colorado, it's really nice. I'm not as active as I should be because I really like the gym. So that was tough. Mm-hmm. But I was still keeping up my intermittent fasting and life was great. And when I went to New York, suddenly I'm working noon to 9 p.m. And I'm balling out hard on takeout mm-hmm. and seamless, uh, right? bagels. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh man. yeah. Seamless, the yeah. amount of money. The, all the money I saved is just was gone for takeout yeah. and burritos. Sex. It was oh, like a burrito God. a day. Long story short, yeah. um, I put on a couple of New York pounds. I was jealous of everyone else who gained their COVID 15 and yeah. i was like i'm gonna do that one month yeah, but I'm it. It. so i'm chilling <laughs> on snack i'm chilling on snacks but an- another thing about this for those who've hung around with us on this podcast journey we 
do love talking about, <laughs> besides just goofing off, like what it's like to be an influencer, what it's like to work with marketing companies, what it, exercise, food, habits. We'd like to we really do to cover it all. And so we're going to continue that also in the Discord and everywhere else because we spend a lot of time and energy and thought on these various things. And we read a lot. <laughs> we listen to a lot of other podcasts. So we'll at least be able to distill some of that information to you and let you know what's what's working. And it'll be mostly in these pods. We won't inundate our guest with our sonship banter, but we do really like to think about, think about these things. And we really want you to actually hit us up with articles or interesting things about exercise, fitness, finances. Mm -hmm. Let us know. So, Drew, you had mentioned about creating your own stuff. And we've talked about that in the music sense. Mm -hmm. But now, also thanks to the podcast, which helps spur another little thing. We had a guest at the beginning of the year mm -hmm. in January. Mm -hmm. A certain special Brian Lee. Brian Lee. Uh, yeah. A longtime friend. And now, because of the conversation, we've since continued on and now have joined Ultimate Forces to start our own business venture as a team. And it's already finding some success and yeah, support. We've gotten some funding. And yeah. Do you want to, yeah. You want to talk a little bit about what we've been up to off pod? So after that podcast, I essentially fell down the rabbit hole of crypto, cryptocurrency, blockchain technology, and tried to just understand the next revolution that our world is going to see. And it's happening quickly. It's happening silently. Uh, it's not like the horses are no longer on the streets and replaced by loud, smelly cars. This is tech infrastructure that's going to revolutionize the things that we already do. So it's going to be pretty invisible, which is really interesting. In doing this, I've spent a, personally a, the, the lion's share of my free time learning about various cryptocurrencies, learning about blockchain technology, the, the ideas of decentralized autonomous organizations or DAOs, DAOs, for instance. And because of that, and through Brian's guidance, we have come up with a solution that we're trying to build for the music industry. It's still taking shape, it's still taking form, and we are currently, I'm leading the UI UX development of this uh, platform and this product. It was a really good friend of mine. We might even have eight persona interviews where I'll be interviewing musicians about the struggles they have of publishing their music, getting their music out there. Who's out there trying to take advantage of them in this music industry? And how could we, using blockchain technology, maybe assuage some of those problems, reduce their costs, and reduce the headache and the difficulty of copywriting one's music without having to sign up with a publishing company that takes a cut of all of your creations, without having to sign up with an agent or a manager that siphons off a large proportion of your earnings off of art that you make. How can you be fully independent without having to be your own lawyer and all these other different things. So we're, we're figuring all these things out, but our company's name is Tempo and the project that we're making is, is called Coda. That's a great summary. And just to boil it down to its simplest terms is that we're making tools for artists. And so it's less about a scope of some massive platform or that it's going to 
know, change everything and do all these other things. We just know that uh, blockchain is not going to be a solve for every problem. It's not going to be a solve for most problems. But it is an incredibly useful tool that is very good, a handful of things. It is certainly the future and is part of our future. It's here, the cat's out of the bag, and it has a lot of potential. And so in interacting with Brian in that episode, who was just, he, he understands our music world. He's played on Broadway and he understands blockchain. He's been highly involved in the technical side of things and has been in it for many years and has found a lot of success and knowledge. And so he's just been our North Star, really pulling us along. I think what's really fun and like a role that I want to take is to try to be a plain English interpreter of what blockchain technology is and what it can do. Because there is a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt that is spread across the media. But uh, is what you'll hear in the crypto space. But there are a lot of people that just don't understand it. And I get it because it's hard and it takes a lot of research. I was in so many clubhouse rooms run by classical musicians wondering about NFTs. And they were sitting there arguing with me about the nature of NFTs and what they are. And they were like, immediately, I've only (laughs) spent like 24 hours looking at this. And I'm like, dude, I've been reading newsletters, watching YouTube videos, reading medium posts since 2018, bro. Why are you coming at me telling me I don't know what I'm talking about <laughs> if you don't even understand the, the problem or if you don't understand the nature of what this is? And so I, I don't know, man. It's, it's going to take a long time for classical musicians to even get on board because they still don't do social media. They're still like now like saying, maybe we should start a YouTube channel. LA Philharmonic. <laughs> it's like, no years too late. So that's what it is. So this very niche, very technical space of cryptocurrency and blockchain, which is hard for smart people to get, like it's going to take some time. And so I want to be part of that revolution and help people understand. And a big part and what I was excited about and what Brian's done a great job of and so we're building specifically on what's called icon that's the particular chain we're going in on it's got its own currency icx and it's got a great community and what they set out to do which i think is wise and what brian's really set out to do is he knows the value of people from other fields with other experiences he himself is a musician he knows some of the problems that it takes to have a blockchain adapted and to go out into the world And a tricky part of that is that they're very good at development. They're very good at blockchain. They're very good at this. That's what they understand, but they might not know other fields. And so what he's trying to do is essentially go out and pair people who are existing in these various industries who know, who have a good sense of the problems of that industry, of how this technology might work. How can we best use this technology? to solve problems. It's less about starting with, hey, this is going to solve everything. Let's just force blockchain into something that already works well in, the, well in the real world. It's like looking, hey, this is what it's very good at. These are problems that artists have. What's the simplest way we can use this to solve this? And for me, it's will this make an artist's life better? Tempo and Concertize and my own personal work and what we're doing on the podcast, they all really have the same mission, which is helping artists. They're just tackling it from different ways. And back to our financial talks, I'm setting up my own EFT. I'm spreading out across these couple of things uh, because they can start to help each other. They can inform each other. And it allows me the opportunity to 
not put you know all the eggs in one basket. And it's less about two of these projects will fail and one will continue. But I get to learn in different avenues of what can be done to solve other people's issues and create tools and services that help musicians. So Tempo, we're setting out, we're using blockchain to help creatives. I'm not really interested in creating more work for artists. I think that's one thing that gets kind of lost where someone's, oh, we need a LinkedIn for musicians. We need a, a Twitter for musicians or we need another Spotify or something. Like we're always adding to the plate. And the hard part about that is everyone's tired. There's too much to do. So I'm really interested in taking away things. Okay, like, hey, you don't have to worry as much about your right. We got you handled. You don't have to worry as much about funding or GoFundMes or Bandcamp. You don't have to worry as much about getting yeah. There's all these little elements. So one thing we're tackling right now is essentially a decentralized record label or a community-led record label to where you can support each other. We're, we're talking to people actively. We're learning from it. We're taking it seriously. We've received funding, which is incredible. Real money to go in it's and like- in the form of internet money, magic money. It's in the form of internet money. <laughs> so it feels magical, but real support and backing um, from people who, who have put their trust in us and we're not stopping. And so beyond the pod, it's fun. We have all these parallel meetings. <laughs> we're talking about the pod and we hang up and then we got to go to a business meeting and it's a whole different environment. But in the end, we want people who understand the community, who are artists to be in the other room, the decision-making room about the future of music and the business of music. And so I'm happy that it, at least Drew and I are in there to try to help steer the ship and hopefully figure out, solve some problems, big or small, and make everyone else's lives just a little better. Heck yes. Final thing that I wanted to, maybe something that we could talk about in the future is just like general good financial hygiene as a musician. One thing that has continued to like ring in my brain that's different about my life now because of the pandemic, because I had to sit down and learn about finance. And I've, been, I've had the wonderful fortune of living with a guy named Winton Grant, who's been a legend. Just saving money, you know, trying to be more cognizant of like how I'm spending money and then like saving 10 to 30% of every check and paying the concept of paying myself first so that I could actually have savings if like something bad happens, if I need to replace a tire or fix an AC or something. COVID-21. COVID-21. I have a little bit of money saved up to eat. So it, it's, it's, that has been a big shift. And the, now that I have like the ability to not only pay off my student loans and have these huge monthly payments and stuff, but be able to tackle that with no sweat, it's been, it's, it's crazy. It is crazy. It's so crazy. And my income has to... exploded much more than it used to. I was very fortunate just with the circumstance of the pandemic, like my job. I didn't even get to mention about a company I love, Tonebase. I work at, I'm head of post-production. And I love what we're doing. I love what we're coming out. They've landed, we got our big artists, but we got Emmanuel Axe. We recorded lessons with Emmanuel Axe. Manny. OG. He's the, Manny, he's the yo-yo ma of piano. Just a big time and awesome sweet person and it went great. But it's a wonderful company, and that's how I learned and got inspired to start, in addition to this podcast and a few other conversations, to really get going on the business side. I, I got to see what it was like to make these decisions and see, hey, they're doing a great job with this, and I've done a lot of education. Can I take this type of knowledge and apply it to other facets of the artist's life? And 
so we do have a we have a couple episodes in a row from earlier this year about finances. But I think what would be good is if we sit down and have a very specific kind of what we did with music auditioning, where we just talk through like grad school and music in a what was the name the music school audition process episode. I think it'd be great to have one specifically about finances because I knew little to none at all up until last fall. I hired a business coach. We started. We interviewed Winton. We started having all these conversations. And I cannot tell you enough how better I feel going from surviving off savings and trying to figure out what's going to work to investing. I didn't invest a single thing until maybe the end of August, beginning of September. Nothing. No stocks, no crypto, no nothing. And since we're going on a journey. Uh, right now as we're recording, uh, AMC's going crazy and I'm big in on that. I'll see how my life is now. That's not the best financial advice. By the time this episode's released, either I'll be very happy or very sad. But I learned about risk, so I'm very happy right now. So, <laughs> But in the end, there's just so many moves that Drew and I are very interested in. Finances, health, wealth, uh, all the above, that we are interested in talking openly about, sharing what we've learned, and bringing in guests specifically to communicate these types of things. Because that's what's not being talked about in music school. And even if it is, it's a couple years too late. We're out here in the thick of it. We're talking to people who are learning from it, who are making it happen. And if you're able to get through that aspect and be able to survive on your own and really make it, be able to pay yourself with music or pay yourself with another career that gives you the freedom to other music, whatever path you take, that's what we're going for. We want you to feel free, whether it's in your music career or your non-music career, your financial situation. We want you to be free. And that's what I think we're going to try to get across. And so in these episodes where it's Drew and I, we're going to be having back and forth, eating sun chips, because they're going to give you just boxes of sun chips. You got to write that sure right. So. You'd be like, I, sure I want a so. truck. Beep, beep, yeah, beep. It's got to back up to your house mm-hmm. and dump truck, a, a dump, dump truck, truck of sun chips. Dump and then we can sun. eat eat sun chips all day. I think that's the name uh, of this uh, okay. <laughs> the name of this podcast. Dump truck. We've circled sun, back. Sun Episode chip. two. Two or three was dump truck influencer, and now you're actually you're actually a dump truck influencer. But this has been a great journey. It's been great just to catch up with you one on one. And thanks everyone again for tuning in. If you want to hit us up and have specific questions, let us know what you want to hear us talk about in the future. Come talk to us on the Discord. On the Discord, yeah, and it's it's going to be great. Yeah. Shout out to Daniel. Thanks, everybody. Daniel, thanks for oh, yeah. producing this episode. You're amazing. Amazing. Shout out to Daniel. Producer Daniel. Producer Daniel. And All shout right. out to Ben Lee. Ben Lee. Y'all have a, y'all have a good one. Peace, everybody. Peace.